0: comment and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. It's V the Great Economist, and we have with us the man of the other, the great game analyst himself, the one and only Matthew Eretz is here. You can find him over at CanadianPatriot.org, as well as the RisingTideFoundation.net. It is the wellspring of knowledge. It is what I call the geopolitical, geostrategic, great Alexandrian library, but yet it's online downloadable pdfs and articles you can read at your leisure compiled by matthew eric and his wonderful wife cynthia they have put that whole entire thing together and also matthew does courses every sunday him and cynthia are always hosting some sort of free online coursework that you guys could participate in usually it's in their telegram group you can find that information out by emailing matthew the links will be in the description box and with that being said mr eric how are you sir
1: Hey, gentlemen. I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you for uh, for plugging the the weekly courses too. Very appreciate that. Um, I,
0: I have the latest latest uh, uh, insider information from Glasgow about the climate accords and the climate change symposium. Uh, verbatim, I have one of the quotes from the great leaders there. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. I'm going to I'm going to share this with you live on air, Matthew. Are you ready?
1: Absolutely. <clears throat>
0: me 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 me. <clears throat> Blah 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 blah, <laughs> blah 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 blah
1: blah 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 blah. blah. It's funny. I, I Harley had uh, brought up how that uh, now that she's she's eighteen years of age, she's starting to like splice in some f bombs as well into the into her blah into her exactly.
0: blahs. Yeah. blah. Yeah. <laughs> fuck shit. Blah blah blah.
1: Oh, it's yeah. such a joke. And I mean, you know, this is the thing. Like, we're we're in a situation where I think the general scientific literacy of our society is has fallen so it's low abysmal. Uh, it's abysmal that people can actually um, give respect to the type of shit show circus that you have where you know enraged you know abused girls like this who i don't know what they're doing to make her look perpetually 14 years of age um, are, are being most like, likely I, I don't know but yeah, I mean, they're being trotted out publicly to be to act like authorities of world science policy. And the reason why they get away with this or, you know, other other experts like, uh, you know, investment banker Mark Carney or, you know, like Al Gore, the the great climatologist Al Gore. Like, no, these people have no experience with any science, but they're being like trotted out as if they're authorities. And it's because we let this happen because we're we've been put to sleep with this repeated mantra that all the, all of the science is settled. There's no point thinking about it anymore. Because all everyone agrees who's, who's a scientist that, you know, human-made CO2 is driving the destruction of the world into a new, you know, Armageddon, which is going to yes. repeat the, the sorts of apocalyptic stories we had in various, you know, biblical and other... Every civilization has their own ap- apocalyptic scenarios. Um, whenever the gods get mad at us for having sinned for too long and, uh, you know, divine retribution hits and, and the earth burns or floods or whatever... And we're sort of the spell is sort of recast. We've been we've been led to believe that we're in this enlightened age of science and secularism and all this stuff, and we've we've come so far from those unscientific eras, thousands of years, you know past. And uh, no, not at all, not at all. They just repackaged the same damn spells and mythologies under a, a scientific veneer, but it's this it's the same high priesthood. Uh, trying to manipulate people around the idea that the the fault of all of the problems of the world are are in human beings. Human beings themselves are the cause of our problems. Not empires. Not injustice. Obviously, yes. You know, there's an element of truth. We we acquiesce. We have free will. We let it happen. Yes, we we sh- we hold responsibility. Um, but the actual you know causal agency, the the existence of an oligarchy from today that that connects directly to what was organizing ancient Babylon. This is something we're we're told not to think beyond the electric fence. You know, it's not, there's no way that we could possibly do anything about it. And you got people like uh, Aldous Huxley who gave his, have you guys heard his uh, ultimate revolution um, or his final revolution speech at Berkeley in 1960?
0: No, no, no. I, I think I did the excerpts of which uh, are, are in my mind. I just can't recollect. If you'd like to share that with us, that'd be awesome.
1: Well, this is the guy who, you know, he's he's working in tandem as a, a social engineer with his brother Julian Huxley and you know at the same time you have the world um sort of gripped between two orientations you have the John F Kennedy Enrico Mattei the the industrialist in Italy orientation Charles de Gaulle who are all trying to to combat the impossible uh game of the the cold war mutually assured destruction and they're they're trying to do it in a way that involves Creating win-win cooperation through mutual benefit projects, like you know, large-scale infrastructure for everyone, uh, high-tech science driver programs in space and the atom and everywhere else. And that's how JFK, that's how De Gaulle, that's how Matei are all uh, dealing with the problems of the Cold War. They're not falling into the left-right, you know, pick a side, commie versus you know, laissez-faire capitalist. They're they're not playing into that game, and so they're eliminated. But within that context, where the world is is being pulled right in these two orientations, you have Julian Huxley, who's setting up the World Wildlife Fund for Nature, as a fund that would would be devoted entirely just to like pulling capital together to feed into the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, which is a 1947 organization, the world's first conservation um, organization that set off the new paradigm that really you know recruited and absorbed a lot of the young malleable uh, baby boomers who are going through a surreal experience in the sixties. And they were the ones who were targeted to be recruited into this new type of green ethic around conserving nature from human beings. So that's what Julian Huxley created in 1947. It didn't have the money to do a lot of the things it wanted to do, which is namely its purpose was, you know, ban economic development from the earth with the logic that economic development is always a destruction of nature and thus unnatural, irrespective of the fact that human minds, which are natural, we are produced. you know, minds came out of nature's last time I checked, <laughs> minds cause discoveries applied to the form of infrastructure that make life better for people and allow us to die at lesser and lesser rates and live at higher and higher standards of living, right? When we build dams or water irrigation or water management. Yeah, they're big projects, they disrupt the former, what you might have thought of as being the cycles of nature when you green a desert right those those patterns of of um biogenic sort of cycles um change when you all of a sudden have a green region all of a sudden you know the the hydro, the, the the CO2 molecules will uh transition through the biosphere through life back into the into the into the clouds right and then they rain rain back down into life and they, and that those patterns will naturally be changed. Some living things won't do very well. Some cactus species, some scorpion species that were in the desert before a human, you know, irrigation system came through. They might not do as well. They might not do well at all. That, that happens right now. People like Julian Huxley and, and his brother um, who they were working two sides of the same operation would say their, their, their thing was, Oh, kill my, Oh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> uh, V was just messaging CJ about yep. uh, a, a, a okay, camera. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. All right. So <clears throat> the um, the idea was that we would be we would have to be brainwashed to believe that JFK, all of these great leaders, were wrong. That they were absolutely disruptive to nature, and that to be in harmony with nature, to be good and to be natural, meant to adapt to the limits of nature, adapt to the deserts. And if that meant increasing conservation lands where formerly there were industrial zones, then you got to do that and make the bring the bring nature back into the dominant position. Now they didn't have the money for it. And that's why the World Wildlife Fund for Nature was set up as a fund to to make a lot of those things happen. Some people had to be taken out as well, who were disruptive to that. And people like, you know, people wonder why is it that people, you know, Prince Bernhardt or Prince Charles. Who are not really known to be great fans of global poverty alleviation i mean they're part of the you know very nefarious um they're the parasitic
0: underclass i mean overclass excuse me <laughs> yeah
1: well they live in the underworld and maybe that's where they're destined to go back to you know but oh. <laughs> um yeah but you know these these three guys with julian huxley set up the world wildlife fund um and you're like why did they do Do they really care about nature that much um why is it that john Loudon, the former CEO in the 1960s of Shell Dutch Oil. Why was he the the president of of the World Wildlife Fund? What does the you know I last time I checked, I was told that the oil companies like Shell Dutch Oil are the biggest abusers of nature. But then why are their high level elites overlapping in and out of the conservation movement? Why are you know the uh, the 1001 Trust? It's a it's another trust that Prince Bernhard set up. Yep. Was that artificial scarcity? Artificial scarcity. Exactly. And and I mean, this thing was it, it's its a pile of money to that was created with the, the richest oligarchs in the world who all got in to this club, this trust in 1969, 70 to uh, to basically create artificial scarcity in a sense. You're, you're absolutely right. So today we're in a situation where, <clears throat> you know, last last week, our last show, I we tried to do some justice to carbon dioxide you know we we I think we did a fair job debunking the idea that carbon dioxide caused by human beings has anything to do with climate change I think we we did a fair a fair okay job in our discussion and today there's another element of this which I just touched on this idea of debunking the idea that nature um is natural when it's left untouched by human beings where did this come from um what, why is this so prevalent? Because when you look at the world economic forum today, this is what is really shaping a lot of the policies coming out of the uh, these sociopathic billionaires who are all um, meeting up. Sorry, I'm just doing a little. You know what's a funny, man? There,
0: there's not a single thing that the not that that the modern environmentalist has claimed, has uh, espoused, has repeated ad nauseum that was not done already by the Nazis in the 30s and the 40s. There's not a single theme, not a single one.
1: Well, I, I love that you just brought that up because that's the first slide. I, this morning I, I woke up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put some slides together because I think people, eh, rather than just hearing voices, it's, it's good to just sort of see some visceral images with your own eyes as well. Um, there's two books um, that I'm, I'm looking at right now. Um, I've got a free PDF of How Green Were the Nazis, mm. which if people write to me, they can. I'll, I'll try to send it to them. Um, a recent fantastic book, and another one called "The Green and the Brown: A yeah. History of Conservation in Nazi Germany."
0: Rupert Darwell, Green. Uh, no, that, that was Green Tyranny. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I
1: don't know about that one, but yeah, these these are two fantastic books. And uh, what you see there on the book on the right, if you're in a plane flying over the Black Forest to this very day, you will find a swastika that's been made out of these these trees that are of a species of pine that produces. Uh, yellow pine needles, not green ones. Um, they were consciously planted there during the uh, the time that Hermann Göring was the Nazi Reichsminister for Forestry and Conservation. Um, and just like in the case of eugenics, the science of eugenics, people have been given a one-dimensional, cartoonish, villainous image of the Nazis without give, being given a proper understanding of what was the ideological and cultural climate that produced the Nazis and that the Nazis themselves were trying to impose globally. Yeah. and Because if you did look at that, just like eugenics, it didn't really come from the Nazis themselves, though the reason why the Wall Street and London bankers pushed, wanted the Nazis to become a dominant political power, which is where the Bush family fortune came from, amongst other things, is because it was a very, very useful political organization, fascism, to impose eugenics, the science of population control and population purification of the gene pool, according to whose standards, right? A whole bunch of inbred uh, oligarchs who say what <laughs> should be the normal uh, breeding habits and, and genetic, uh, you know, type of, of a healthy human species. These guys are inbred. I'm sorry. but no, There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But these guys brought in um, a logic of, on the one hand, you know, people say, oh, yeah, Hitler was a vegetarian. I don't have to think. You know, that, that's a quirky thing. And I, I got no problem with vegetarians. I got vegetarian friends, but there's something more to it. That was an expression yes. of something deeper as a sickness inside of Hitler, which is prof- profoundly based on this idea of um, a purity, uh, this idea of a fixed, unchangeable purity. And that based and this is the, the British logic. All of this philosophy comes from the British Empire that was that absorbed um, into the Nazi war machine and the the people like Goering and, and others. But the idea that if you look at the, what Goering was doing when he planted these trees, he was also part of a program to try to extract all of the foreign species of plant of fauna and flora from Germany to try to bring it back to a pure Aryan medieval uh, ecosystem that was non-polluted by the foreign species of trees and bushes and plants that had come in over the years from just you know human beings from different parts of the world. Um, meeting and and you know that's what human beings do with <laughs> it like try to find an, an a pure element of nature just try to find it it's not going to happen everything has been affected by hundreds of thousands of years if not more of human beings working and living in nature judging thinking discovering uh apples you know try to find a pure apple untouched by human no apples crab apples are are sour hardly edible uh tiny little things correct and the ones that you actually eat are not natural. They come, they're the effect of thousands of years of selective chosen breeding. Same goes apple. for bananas. Bananas
0: yeah. were absolutely inedible. If you've seen what an ancient banana looked like, you wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. It was filled with seeds from the innermost core to the outermost, man. And it goes with so yeah, many yeah.
1: fruits. Yeah, same thing for, yeah, a teosinte, like natural corn. It's like four little hard globules that you can't even eat. You choke on it. Yep. Um so all the stuff that we, we get at the grocery store, none of that is natural. You're even the farm animals, you know, like try to set a, a cow free in nature or a chicken from your, uh, your farm, try to set it free in nature and see how quickly it's going to like keel over and die. Cause it, it, it changed its nature, uh, you know, according to human thought. Yes. So these are all species that are the effect of human creative mentation, which again, the question is then is human thought a part of nature is nature perhaps organized by creative reason. Even before there were human beings, could it be said that there's evidence? One thousand percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this is a big, This is the core of the fight that goes back thousands of years, where the oligarchy would say, "No, human thought, human creative thought is unnatural, and that, and in fact, there is an an infinite wall a divide between what human beings do on the earth and what nature does outside of humans. There's there's an infinite dichotomy that we can never bridge. Right. Um. And that'll if you think like that, you will always have to conclude. That human beings kind of are a virus or a cancer on Gaia, um, reproducing far too unnaturally, and that the enlightened elite, whether it's Babylon in the ancient times or Rome, uh, dealing with its overpopulated slaves, or in today's world, you have to then the enlightened elite regulate the population, and that was what Aldous Huxley was saying in his in his uh, ultimate revolution. We have to create an electric fence, beyond which in the in the minds of people, beyond which they themselves. Do are not able to to trespass, um. So we we got to break down some electric fences here, and this is a really great way to do it. Um, yeah. The so how does how does this impact today? One thing too about the Nazis, um, the actual conservation movement itself, as as I said, it didn't come from the Nazis, though they did apply it with the eugenics laws as well vigorously, but it came out of you know they were the they were also the first
0: government to launch a government-based wind energy program
1: i did not know that
0: yep they were the that. first purveyors of wind
1: energy that is very interesting i'm gonna have to dig more into that one how did they i i want to ask you do, you do you know anything about in what way did that did that manifest they wanted to use windmills to like make turbines move and get electricity is that what they yeah. wanted
0: that's exactly what they wanted. To do. They wanted to create uh, wind turbines, which are similar to the large ones that we see today modernly. And they want, their goal was to create many of those and to have that power houses and homes and cities and whatnot. But the problem that they've had is the same problem we have. Those things on any best of days are only really at 30 to 35 percent effective or efficient in mm. producing anything. So it's been but that didn't stop them from investing in that you know? and, and all the other tree hugger nonsense, like not eating meat, like you mentioned before. <laughs>
1: That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, one thing as well, like that—that that, um, a lot of Germans themselves were disturbed by was that they they got recruited to the SS. They got recruited to the different groups, um, thinking that they were going back to nature. You know, they'd all been traumatized by World War One by the destruction of the Vers- Versailles Treaty. So the population had been gone had gone through ch- like shock therapy. Um, and within the nature reserves is where the secret military buildup was occurring. So. Actually, the the Nazis themselves, though they did believe in the sacredness of Mother Gaia, they actually also were opportunists who then built up the war machine in many ways out of sight from a lot of people um, that was then unveiled. Um, And, you know, when you look at the writings that were were made or the transcripts of of, uh, writings between like Philip Kerr, Lord Lothian, the, you know, the British roundtabler and Hitler in, in the 1930s, Hitler is very clear. That after winning the war, the idea wasn't to just, you know, make it uh, just it it wasn't what people think. Hitler was a communalist. He believed in after after victory, having a world of little micro states, little local controlled uh, mini democracies where nobody, the majority was not allowed to think about the whole. But everybody would have their local communalism back to nature, little communes. Um, and that was why the war was seen as a justifiable means, an evil means towards a justifiable good, beautiful end of a world in you know harmony with nature, highly depopulated. You know the the white Anglo-Saxon races would then control the mediocre or lower races that were darker skinned or 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 uh, you know Asian or whatever or Slavic, um, and everything had its hierarchical place in this very fixed mathematical equilibrium of nature. Um, super. Super cultish and sick, but again, we're not told about what would have Hitler. What would Hitler have wanted of the world had he won? Uh, along with the British financiers and backers of Hitler, who were also vying for control, and there was a big fight in Britain over whether they they continue working with their Frankenstein monster that they created as a battering ram to destroy nation states or whether it's gotten a little bit too out of control. It's not as obedient as they, they wanted it to be and whether it had to be put down and aborted in order to fight another day, which is ultimately as we know what happened. Right. Um, no, I'm, I'm digressing as I often do. And I'm sorry that I do that. Um, but here's a, a little image from, uh, and, uh, 18, actually from the world economic forum website. This is something that created a, uh, it, it's a report commissioned by the world economic forum. um, conducted by the world wildlife fund for nature as a report to try to assess the monetary value of nature which in this report um it they decided that it was going to be about 125 trillion dollars per year according to this report um the idea behind this was to say okay um human beings have gone too far with development and now if we're going to be able to reset the economy and this is 2018 right Before the actual discussion of Great Reset had taken that form, all of the the parts of the chess piece were already sort of being placed into position. Um, The idea is how do you monetize nature in a way that you maximize the incentives financially for not changing nature um, on the one hand and giving control of nature from nation states, let's say Nigeria or Brazil, and give it over to a private coterie of supranational financial interests. That was sort of the, the challenge with the logic, you know, the sweet honey to attract idiots. And, you know, that this was ultimately that the these corporations were enlightened. They had more money than they could do with. And so they were uncorruptible because why would you why would you be corrupt if you already have billions of dollars? You must you know, it couldn't be money that motivates you at this point. It must be the protection of your environment and your children. That's really where why you can trust a multi trillionaire uh over you know a nation state because nation states are naturally corrupt they cause wars you don't you know right mm, so they yeah. got these like very lame sets of logic and you know today you know, coming out of the world economic forum uh, the, the, the 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 sorry the the cop 26 or or as as i've heard you guys uh, say flop 26 uh, that that's the term going around um, One might think that that was right. All of these billionaires, Jeff Bezos, has created and unveiled an Earth Fund for to capture billions of dollars to put billions into um protecting nature, especially in Africa. He really cares about Africa. Jeff Bezos cares deeply about Africa. Yes, yeah, yeah you know, there's him with Prince Charles at a.
0: Uh, well, a you m- know what it is. It's like it, it's these guys are, are are obsessed with eugenics, and that's the underlying thing. Like, for instance, like. Mm-hmm. The the main foundation point for Nazism is eugenics, and who was one of the principal people that influenced the Nazis was Ernst Henkel. Ernst Henkel was an ecologist and a zoologist, and he was one of the founders of the early eugenics movements in the in the twenties and thirties. And it was he was one of the main guys, the main architects that the Nazis found a lot of inspiration from for many of their policies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and people like Galton, right? Yep. Galton, the founder of eugenics who created the British eugenics society that Julian Huxley was the president of at the same time that he founded the World uh, Wildlife Fund for Nature. He was also the president of the eugenics society. It didn't go away. Mm-hmm. The, the British eugenics society just changed its name to the Galton Institute in the late 80s. I don't know why they waited so long for the name change, but they, you know that's when they did it. And to this very day, you could actually see this institute as playing a driving role with Bill Gates's Gavi and all of these other, um, you know, the, the whole vaccine industrial complex that's been built up. Uh, the Galton Institute is, is a key player in this, as, as is AstraZeneca and many other um, eugenics organizations, including, I would say, the Rockefeller and Carnegie Foundations and Mas- Macy Foundations, which were all the biggest financial backers of the science of eugenics, giving grants to, you know, Nazi um you you know uh, eugenicists in the 1930s and 40s to carry out their experiments there these are all the organizations which are still there today they just did a little bit of a costume change um but you're right this is these are complete and this is what the whole transhumanist thing is about if so if you actually look at who else what else did julian huxley do he created the term transhumanism as a new ideology To justify why scientifically we are going to enter a new era of the human species where people come from test tubes in a master race, a master class that's never existed before, um, does the selective breeding of the future of of humankind. Yeah. And also real
0: quick, Matt. Yeah. Ernst Henkel. Yeah. He's the guy who coined the term, invented the term ecology. Did he really? eh? Yeah. He's the one who invented that term ecology. Interesting. That's him. Same guy, who was one of the founders of eugenics.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the words we use, right? We take for granted, sometimes we just use these words and we don't think, where do they come from? Um, What are the ideas that gave birth to them? Um, Even the the word transhumanism, right? It's become like a very sanitized word that um, they teach in school. You could take transhumanist classes in university. Um, That's, But the fact that these eugenicists created this as a way to justify getting rid of nation states and reducing the world population according to this new feudalism. We just, we don't look at that part. We don't look at Julian Huxley who wrote the books on it, or Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, the Jesuit uh, uh, infiltrator who also worked with Huxley to do that. Because uh, then we'd, we'd be able to recognize the evil for what it is behind the veneers of of nice, you know, propaganda that we're fed with today, like ecology. People get warm, warm fuzzy feelings about the word. But no, there's something very nasty about this. Um... So what else do you have? You know, coming out of the the COP twenty six, what they've been trying to pummel down people's throats in the propaganda machine is the UN thirty uh, thirty initiative to try to have thirty percent of the world's surface uh, demarcated as uh, conservation zones, untouchable by development. Um, within, I guess it's nine years within twenty thirty. Um, Prince Charles has announced his uh, sustainable market initiative with Mario Draghi. You got the uh, this fascinating international uh, interest, fascinatingly evil, uh, intrinsic exchange group, uh, which is creating these, created these new natural asset companies. You guys heard about this? Whitney Webb did a really great uh, piece covering this.
0: No, break it down for us, man. I've, I heard these guys were working on these things. And when I see like a $60 trillion sustainable fund, I translate that in my gorilla head to, to say that, hey, that's a $60 trillion to wipe out the developing world, $60 trillion to destabilize Africa, $60 trillion to kill as much human life in the developing economies of the world. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's a land grab. It's a wealth extraction scheme.
1: You got it. It's exactly it. And they just updated that number from 2018, which was $125 trillion. They said, actually, no, we just assessed all of the different ecosystems on the world. And we applauded uh, dollar values to this new index um, to each ecosystem. And they also said it also includes cultural ecosystems, too. Um, like thought, which they're trying to put dollar values on the traditions of indigenous people in Africa or the Amazon or, or Canada. Um, And to the degree that they are untouched, we will place these very arbitrary uh, dollar values of like, you know, $60 million worth of value in this little micro cluster of an indigenous group's thinking. And, you know, this, this many billions of dollars in the eco- ecosystem stability or water purity indexes of this region. And to the degree that that is maintained, the companies which control those regions, those, those areas, or, you know, and they will have some sort they, they want to have some sort of, a uh, an app, like an asset class built up around this. They will then make money and it can be used as securities in, in speculating in, and doing other things. um, it's really weird, and they're saying it's four quadrillion dollars of value that they've calculated scientifically in this in this way around the world. That's what the world is worth, untouched by human de- beings, is four trillion quadrillion dollars. How great! Wow, we, what we can do with that! Um, I'm gonna just stop a share. Uh, CJ, could you do me a favor? Uh, I sent you a um, a website. Do you think you could uh, just do a, a share for that website? Just to look at the first uh, page of the Intrinsic Exchange Group. Are you there, CJ? There it is. It should be up. Oh, it is up? Okay. I, I, I can't see it. So, all right, cool. Um, since I cannot see it, um, could you read, uh, CJ or V? Could you read the, uh, the first little uh, bit on the screen? Uh, yeah, right there. The...
0: IEG is pioneering a new asset class based on nature and the benefits that nature provides. Termed ecosystem services. These services include carbon capture, soil fertility, and water purification, amongst others. The new asset class is the foundation of a new form of corporation called Natural Asset Company, or NAC. The primary purpose of these companies is to maximize ecological performance, the production of ecosystem services to which they have rights and authority to manage. In partnership with the New York Stock Exchange, because the New York Stock Exchange cares so much because it's so trendy, so loving, IEG is providing a world-class platform to list these companies for trading. Enabling the conversion conversion of natural assets into financial capital. You, you know, Matt, I've been saying this for years. That as the system breaks down, these guys are going to financialize everything. Because the only thing they have left is the phony markets, man.
1: No, exactly. Ugh. Exactly. That's exactly what they're trying to do. And we, we can just stop there. But right? I think people get a gist of what this is. Um, the The... The New York Stock Exchange former president is the same guy who was giving Raul Reyes, you know, the, the famous uh, embrace in 1999, right? The, the head of the or the second in command of the FARC guerrillas that were one of the biggest cocaine traf- traffickers in the world on where their headquarters were in a nature reserve in Colombia, um, a nature reserve that was a protected land where not coincidentally, the FARC uh, ter- like narco terrorists, as many narco terrorist groups, including in Africa, find safe haven and sanctuary to train, to live, to eat, while be- in between conducting uh, insurrections against governments on behalf of financi- financial oligarchs that run things like the New York Stock Exchange.
0: Well, you, you um, want to know something, Matt? They're they're trying to create a nature reserve in northern Syria. <laughs> I'm not
1: surprised. I'm not surprised.
0: <laughs> it's a desert <laughs> ecology there. <laughs> it, it, it just happens to be like it's filled in with all the oil fields, but it's just a it's a nature preserve.
1: That's hilarious. Honestly, I, you should write something. just are satirizing that because that's exactly how it that it. Yeah, why like, not? Why not? lip is now a, a giant nature reserve. It's exactly. to- totally in alignment. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, so let me just do back. A, a, I'll do a screen share again. Um, share screen. No sure. okay. can you guys see that? Yes, okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so again the the whole thing is really premised around as, as as they were very clear, monetize nature and then give the incentive to companies that will then control um, entire ecosystems of other poor countries. and how are they going to get control of that? Well, some of it is just um, you know, debt slavery. These countries have been brought into for 40, 50 years, debt slavery, unpayable rates of debt. They've been not permitted by the, the conditionalities of the IMF loans over the years. They've not been permitted to build up their infrastructure. That's one of that's usually one of the key conditions when they receive a loan. It's just take the money, don't do anything with it that benefits your people or your nation. Um, it it fosters a, a climate of corruption, obviously. Um, and then they say, well, These zones are going to be off limits. That's why Africa has received all of these trillions of dollars over the decades. But yet the the standards of living have only gone down and down and down. That's not an accident. That's not because the Africans are incompetent. It's because there is an intention to get that effect. And now what they're saying is, well, oh, your debts are so bad. Well, we have an idea on how you could pay off your debts. Finally, just sell off your uh, ecosystems to responsible, enlightened companies like Jeff Bezos's and they will manage it for you. You can use the money to pay your debt, and oh. you don't have to worry about uh, controlling these zones. Wow. So again, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a very evil form of logic. They're doing this in, in the United States too with prairie farmers. You know, They're trying to shut down the production of meat, and so what are they doing? There's all of these incentives that are being brought online, like the American Prairie Reserve System that wants to turn uh, thousands and thousands of miles, square miles of uh, grazing land where farmers have, have done grazing with their cattle and just pay the farmers to not graze their cattle, just pay them more money than, than they would make had they been grazing cattle um, in order to just keep it all devoid of any activity. Um, they've been doing the same thing with um, fruit farmers even uh, across Canada for years, where they just say, oh, there's a glut on the the the, the markets and they, they will pay the farmers to just destroy either their fruit their peaches and everything. I mean, we, we we've it. seen that with one hundred and thirty five thousand pigs that were slaughtered in Canada
0: because there was nobody supposedly to work the factories. Exactly, one hundred thirty five thousand exactly. pigs, man. That's a lot of Canadian bacon. That's a lot of sausage. That's a lot of pork shoulders.
1: It's ridiculous, man. We're eradicating a lot of bacon lovers well. are crying when they hear that. So that that's yeah, painful. I, mean,
0: I, I cry. I love bacon, man. I love bacon. I love a, a you know a nice pig a suckling pig. Oh I mean, my god.
1: <laughs> There's a. Uh... There's a really funny uh, sign that I had seen once on a highway, which uh, it was next to a restaurant in the U.S. And uh, it said, "If you don't like bacon, you're wrong."
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, all that to say, yeah, they, they've been paying people to reduce the productivity of their land. They're paying governments, like even you know, India fell for this by saying, "Oh, yeah, we want to have our carbon reduction targets, but you know, we cannot afford it because all of the rich countries." um are, are already developed. And so they have the, the liberty of, of doing carbon re- reduction, but we still have so much poverty. So we need money if you're if we're going to be able to like, you know, supl- like do carbon reduction. And, and a lot of poor countries have fallen for this trap of begging for money um which you know the Mark Carney and these other Boris Johnson and other other freaks at at uh, Cop26 are saying oh yeah we can do that we'll give you 100 billion dollars a year i mean it's toilet paper money anyway it's hyperinflationary so we'll just promise you that so that you don't develop or we'll give you money here's another one um for uh cap and trade you know so you can cap whatever whatever quotas will give everybody a quota and if you don't use your full quota of what you're allocated for carbon creation per year you could then sell that unused carbon quota to companies that do pollute they could then it's kind of like a you know in the in the feudal in the medieval periods you would buy a sin tax right Mm -hmm. you'd buy a an indulgence when you wanted to sin but you still wanted to go to heaven but you had money so you'd go to the priest and you'd buy you pay for cash to get a little like get out of jail free card yeah. Um, so that you could just do whatever you want.
0: Yeah, it's going that's to be the modern day credit default swap. That's all it is. Pretty much. That's
1: pretty the, much. that's the same idea. So with all of this, this uh, very very evil garbage being pushed through, we do have a lot of resistance as well. We've got the Nigerian uh, President Buhari, who's come out saying COP26 is a fraud to uh, undermine development. Uh, the Ugandan's President Museveni has come out with a Wall Street Journal um, op-ed where he basically called out again um, how this is going to be a complete destruction of Africa if you tell the African countries that they're not allowed to utilize the oil and the coal under their soil because, you know, we hurt nature. That's a colonial uh, trap. Um, So many countries have rejected it. You know, Russia, China, they're not going along with that at all. They see that Uh, what this is. They see this with a bunch of bankrupt, insolvent Western
0: countries trying to peddle and re-engineer the only thing they have left – They don't have culture. They don't have might. They don't have strength. They don't have a physical economy. They don't have military power. What do they have? A fake bullshit market. And this is all it is, a scheme to get everybody linked into the market so we can see Dow 100,000, okay? And they're trying to coerce it with people. And I'm glad. I'm thankful, man. Look, Matt, I said this before. If it wasn't for the multipolar world, I would have lost hope on humanity. Go ahead.
1: Me too. No, that, that gives me... I would I would absolutely have lost hope on humanity had, had there not been this disruption to the narrative, uh, to their script. Um, and I'm just infinitely grateful that there is a resistance movement of nation states cooperating on principles that are discoverable, that are part of natural law. Uh, they're not angels. It's not like, you know, that, that cartoonish idea of the good guys versus bad guys in that black and white way. But the point is, they are recognizing a discoverable principle of natural law that must conform to human... That human human economies, human law, human economic law, as well as as cultural decisions, cult policies on every every level, have to conform to certain standards of uh of 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 justice. You know, the idea that you can't just steal in order from somebody to get what you want at their expense. There are ways of doing things that involve you benefiting and the person that you're interacting with also benefiting. Maybe not in the same mathematical equal way. Um, the way some romantic utopian, you know, Marxists might desire, but it actually, there is something called a harmony of interest. There is something called win-win cooperation. Um, so that's, that's what we're seeing coming out of the Eurasian economic paradigm, which is again, an open system. It is continuously um, desirous to work with us. They don't want nuclear war. They don't want the West, despite what some people believe Russia and China are not enthusiastic about the Western bubble blowing up and and going into a complete economic collapse mode they don't they're not looking forward to that because they will be very negatively Mm. disrupted in a very very bad way as well of course And, and that's and that's the
0: blackmail that western leaders are holding against the leaders of the multipolar world listen you guys are so invested in our market our market is after all the most liquid market in the world so on and so forth if we go down uh, it's going to blow up. And then the answer from the, from the multipolar world, Well, what do you want us to do? You want to integrate into our One Belt, One Road initiative? And you want to integrate into our Eurasian trade zone? You want to integrate into the, our, our multipolar world of mutually beneficial trade and human development? And then the Western leaders like, no, we don't want to do any of that. But we want you to be a part of our scheme in order to financialize everything so we can blow the mother of all bubbles. That's all we want you to do.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's absolutely – it's, it's baby Lala. I mean, yeah, it really is sick. Um, but yeah, that that's the key. People don't, if, if you don't have this top down and historic context in your mind, when you're evaluating things, it's easy to get a bit a bit confused by a lot of the the noise and misinformation. So, you know, knowing this is very important. And, and again, th- talking about the resistance to this brings up something I, I wanted to focus on just a little bit for the second part of our, I, I guess, the last 20 or 30 minutes here. Um, There's something I wanted to just bring to people's attention because uh, Lopez Obrador, um, people might have all sorts of complaints about him. I think he's a genuine guy and he gave a very interesting speech at the unveiling. um, There's a big rail project in uh, southern Mexico, which he's been overseeing now. Um, It's a bit behind schedule, but it's a very bold and important program um, that would increase and it does. It is increasing the industrial activity. It's pulling people out of poverty. It's creating uh, new sets of relationships. And it's it's a couple thousand miles of of advanced electrified rail, um, in in southern Mexico. So one of the things he said at a recent speech uh, this week, he said one of the things which they the the neoliberals promoted in the world, in order to loot at ease, was the creation or promotion of the so-called new rights. So feminism, ecologism, the defense of human rights, the protection of animals was much promoted, including by them. That is. And he's referring here to the, you know, the, the Klaus Schwab, the the Kissinger neoliberal reformers of the 70s who created this world of free for all, free market uh, speculation and deregulation for the past 40 years. That's only increased poverty and other things. But part of it, he's saying that the growth of the ecology movement of a lot of these uh, new rights that have really absorbed a lot of people around the world into a false sense of empathy, like the the people who follow Greta Thunberg, right? It's all part of a trap is what he's saying. And to have a president of Mexico saying this is a very important thing, calling all of this out. And he says all of these causes are very noble, but the intent was to create or boost all of these new causes so that we don't remedy, so that we don't turn around and see that they were looting the world. So, the subject of economic and social inequality would be kept out of the center of the debate. The international agencies which supported the neoliberal model, which is a model of pillage where corporations grab national property, the property of the people, these same corporations financed and continue to finance environmentalist groups as defenders of liberty. Powerful statement. Huge. The train station or the train line that he's uh, referring to, because it's the reason why this thing is being held up is not just national incompetence or something, the way his slanderers are saying. It's that you've had various ethnic groups, uh, indigenous groups that are being weaponized. They've, tons of money has been poured into their different community groups to uh, create court cases that are, are trying to make the argument legally that this is disruptive of their natural ecosystems. And a lot of money has been put in. There's been sabotage. Increasingly, there is something called ecoterrorism, terrorism which uh, is a part of our reality. There's big movements um, who like deep green resistance is one of them, one of many that say, you know, we have our, uh, our, our green social reformers in the above ground who are integrating into the mainstream and, and they're doing their role. And then we have to do our role as the deep green underground resistance where we target pipelines we target things that are disruptive um and we are we allow ourselves a degree of violence um so these are all the sorts of things that that uh obrador is calling out but nonetheless this is a very very important project uh, this is another way of looking at the project in terms of the specs of uh, the, the different rail lines it's transformative and it, it is the sort of thing that people like John F. Kennedy were, were looking at this way of thinking about forcing finance to behave according to long-term development, long-term self-interest that boosts the the productive powers of a society to sustain more people at a higher quality of life. Um, this, is, this is also tied to something that Obrador has been trying to do called the Mexico Central American Development Plan, which he unveiled a few years ago for $40 billion. Originally Trump was supportive of this and even committed $5 billion for the first phase US to help. And what this was, was the creation of uh, the, the the development zones of Southern Mexico. Um, the, uh, one of the biggest projects was the cross isthmus north-south rail system that also involved um, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. Um, it involved a new electricity grid across a uh, completely across this entire zone. It was called the Northern Triangle, and uh, and you know one of the important reasons for this is that Mexican U.S. trade is about three hundred and fifty billion dollars exports to the U.S. Yep. That that seems like a big number, and it and it is a big number. But the thing there is that eighty percent of that is from the uh, the the sweatshops, the mequilladora sweatshops. On the border of Mexico and the USA, eighty percent um, on top, and so the, the poverty levels below the further further south you go are extraordinary. And you know, if you look at the illegal immigration flowing in from um, Central uh, Central Mexico or Central America and and Mexico into the United States, something like almost twenty percent of it comes from the El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras area. Um, of just vast vast poverty. It's not like these people want to go to the U.S. It's that they don't have any other choice, like the people from Libya whose country got turned upside down. They don't want to live in Europe. They would pr- prefer to be in their home country, but we bombed it to hell. So this is kind of like a bomb what we've done over 40 years of an intentional genocide policy. Um, So these are all things which are being subverted. And so AMLO, with some other uh, Latin American leaders, are doing a very... Valiant job trying to call this thing out and push back against it. Um, I would even say the Pope Francis is playing a very evil role in this too, where he has been working to uh, turn the, the the Catholic Church itself, which once believed that human beings are 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 a special thing in the universe, into a Mother Gaia worshipping nature cult. Um, which you get these weird images of 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 Pope Francis with like Amazon tribes like receiving um, Gaia images of like pregnant mothers. And they're, they're saying, oh yeah, this kind of is like mother Mary, but not really. Um, hmm. And so the whole thing is is really quite satanic when you look at what's underlying this whole objective of preserving nature from human beings. The idea is human beings is are evil, uh, right? That, that's the thing. Human beings, when we are acting in accordance of the idea of it, we're made in the image of God, the creator, And we thus transform ourselves in nature. We are thus evil because nature is actually only pristine when it's untouched. So they've got this whole inversion. That's why they could justify depopulation and not lose sleep over it. I don't maybe they do lose sleep. I don't know, but I don't think they do. Um, Around the same time, you know what? One thing that is important that AMLO um, Obrador is calling out is that this neoliberal takeover under Kissinger was expressed very clearly in his NSSM 200 report in 1974 that was only declassified in the early nineties where Kissinger in the report said that the U S economy will require large and increasing amounts of minerals from abroad, especially from lesser developed countries. That fact gives the U S enhanced interest in the political, economic and social stability of supplying countries, wherever a lessening of population pressures through a reduced birth rate can increase the prospects for such stability population policy becomes relevant to resource supplies and to the economic interests of the United States, says Kissinger. And in this report, he, you know, if you ask, well, what examples does he give? Well, in the report, he says mandatory programs may be needed and we should be considering these possibilities now, such as how uh, would food be considered an instrument of national power? Is the U.S. prepared to accept food rationing to help people who can't or will not control their population growth so he actually he actually literally says that the that the u.s should threaten to withhold food availability he also talks about uh, other monetary resources that can be withheld until the populations uh put f- mandatory programs to force their population control onto their people um this is this was what was behind uh, china's foolish decision in 1979 to bring in the one child policy, which was a destructive thing to China that they're still trying to heal from was Kissinger's NSSM 200 uh, program that said, if you want to have the the, the industrial uh, production, which we want to export, because we don't want our, our Western society to have uh, industries anymore. We want you to do it as cheap labor. Well, you know, China's desperate at the time. They're, they're living in, in starvation mode, practically. They're like, well, we, we'll do anything, and they made the mistake of going along with this one-child policy thing. And in Kissinger's report, there's 14 countries. Mexico is number one on the list uh, that have to be targeted for depopulation. India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Egypt, uh, Turkey, Nigeria, Colombia, Brazil are some of the other ones. But uh, but yeah, he's very clear, and this this uh, this is what is animating this. Um, and you know, one of the key Trilateral Commission advisors who worked at the State Department, William Paddock, um, whose ideas were absolutely adopted by uh, Brent Scowcroft under Kissinger's command in 75. Um, he literally said, he's the guy who said that, you know, we have to lock the, uh, lock the cage on Mexico and watch them, listen to them scream in order for population to uh, regulate. Um, he also said, U.S. agro-scientific organizations should deny research to countries that could not get their population growth under control. If you do anything to increase food production through more agriculture technology... All you are doing is increasing f- future suffering because there will be more people population will expand to absorb that food. And the results will be a greater disaster. Growth is something you have to stop. There is no alternative. And this is like a very high level policymaker within the state department whose ideas became policy yeah. in 75. Um, so it really just let that sit in there. Okay. um, Currently, the overall, because the, the objective of the UN, along with a Biden's executive order to uh, put 30% of the U.S. land on undevelopable, you know, uh, conservation zone, where it can never be developed by a dam or water projects or anything. Um, currently, the world configuration of protective lands, terrestrial and, ma- and maritime, looks kind of like that. Um, there's some dispute over some of the categorizations of protected land is uh, there's different definitions. I think it's even a little bit more, a lot more than this. And again, if you if you zero in, I talked about the FARC guerrillas in Colombia um, whose home bases have been on these reservation parks where even government agencies are not generally permitted to even go much of the time. The same thing happens in Africa where many of these protected zones, which have been installed under British colonial rule in some cases, overlap several, two or three even uh, national boundaries. And this is where different uh, guerrilla groups and other paramilitary groups that deal with, um, I mean, they're, they're basically agencies for for national disruption. They, their home bases are in these zones. So it's just a pretext to preserve uh, terrorism. Um, people have seen the maritime choke points, right? So the way the British empire was able to control the world for 200 plus years was by keeping the world underdeveloped and reliant upon sea trade, mo- ocean- trans- oceanic maritime trade, right? They didn't have to control every element of trade along the way. They just had to control the choke points, the choke points. Yeah. It's like being the toll collector, you know, it's, it's
0: as long as they're the, you know, they're controlling the ports. They're a okay. Everything's fine. They're it's in their
1: control. Exactly. And you'd think that you're looking at one of these maps of their choke points. You know, you got the Straits of Gibraltar, the Suez canal, the, the base of, of, of South Africa. Um, you got the malacca straits there you got uh i mean the, the 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 nicaraguan uh nicaragua and the panama canal area but actually what you're looking at are mer- marine reserves some of the key marine reserves there's many more um which again if you're able, it's sort of like a modern day choke point in the sense of, but instead of trying to monopolize trade you're simply monopolizing the, the you're choking <laughs> you're literally choking the nation's abilities to develop Economic uh, trade around these zones, and that's even one of the reasons why, um, in Nicaragua, there has been a, a, a fight for many years to build rail throughout Central America that can connect. This is over hundred years long. This this fight to build rail from South America to North America through Central America, and the nature reserves that were consciously set up in Panama and Nicaragua were designed because those areas are vital for connecting rail. Um, which would be transformative for the people living in those zones so all of these areas are are targeted for not to preserve nature but to stop development um the, I, you know I'm in Canada so I am obviously very passionate about large-scale economic development people who who listen to me speak obviously you you get that sense that we're all we all care about big projects we know that this is transforming the rules of the the great game in a way that the oligarchy doesn't control. Um, but just in the last 40 years, 80 or 90% of all of the, the conservation lands that you see right now on this map were put there since 1968, 69. Um, this is not, this is not old. It's all new and it's all done because again, stop development because what was going on in 1969 were projects that were about to happen in Canada. For example, we have, these are two different, uh, specs images, of one of the biggest things called the mid Canada development corridor that was formulated by a general uh, rumor uh, was his, I forget his first name, but um, anyway, in recent years, this thing has come back into, into discussion a little bit because there is a a certain need um, that some people recognize for opening up the, the North for development, which has been prohibited now for 50, 60 years Um, on the left. What is what, you've seen what you see there are rail lines connecting, uh, you know, Newfoundland all the way up to, uh, British Columbia, Yukon, and even into Alaska, um, 4,800 kilometers of rail, um, including different routes in the territories that would then open up and create zones of development of all of these, these resources that are, I mean, Canada is immensely rich and abundant in resources, but you can't get them because there's no roads or rail. Um, there's no, all of the houses, all of uh, sorry, all of the cities in Canada are strung out along a small little bandwidth connected to the U.S. border. Um, there's no real population. 95% of our population is just connected to the U.S. border. Toronto, uh, Montreal, Quebec, um, Vancouver. The, there's nothing really beyond that. It's all been prevented. So that was the orientation that things were going in. Another orientation that we saw things moving in in the 1950s and 60s was towards the, the North American Water and Power Alliance. This is a, a graph produced by uh, the LaRouche organization a long time ago, and uh, it's a brilliant thing. John F. Kennedy was, was supporting this. Bobby Kennedy was directly supporting the building of this, this massive continental water project, taking water from the north in Alaska, in Yukon, that was not being utilized, And just sort of running off directly into the oceans, it's Arctic, you know, there's not a lot of bio uh, biomass up there. So not a lot of use for the water and simply trap like collecting about five to 10% of that wasted water into reservoirs and then using the natural gravitational topography of the continent to build pumps, to move it, to move it down in some cases and just continuously use gravity and move it down all the way into north of mexico across uh, texas california as you see there um, across the entirety of canada into the great lakes that would have cleaned out the overpolluted great lakes today um, it would have created barge canals it would have created um, thousands of gigawatts of hydroelectric power along the way that was again super transformative it would have I mean, green the deserts of uh, of of the west coast of the USA, of Arizona, by this point, there would be no forest fires. There would be no droughts in California had this not been sabotaged with the, the murder of JFK, who had built dozens and dozens of big water projects in the 1960s before he died. JFK spearheaded the most incredible array of water projects. Then people are not aware of that. And his brother was was threatening Uh, to bring this back again against the World Wildlife Fund agenda, which wanted to basically legalize all of that. And keep in mind, the U.S., that's why a big chunk of the West Coast is nature reserves. It It was made that geopolitically, starting with Teddy Roosevelt, to stop the programs for water projects that were being discussed by Abraham Lincoln's allies in the 1890s, like William McKinley, who was already talking about all of this stuff, including bringing rail into Central and South America. That was the McKinley program uh before he was assassinated in 1901. So that's that's like there's always these geopolitical agendas. And you know, Africa, quick example there, right? Just the different nature parks there. They want to take all of that. Like their agenda is to take in the next 20 years all of that out of development and just allow BlackRock and you know Vanguard and State Street and uh Bezos to uh basically run this for their own looting operations as well as you know um a new green speculative bubble and they're in
0: the race against time man this this whole entire scheme that they have cooked up is so fragile and so erroneous and so crazy their whole thing is they gotta somehow number one convince the world that the western currencies and the western economies are solid they have to convince the world that there's some sort of a physical production that takes place in the west and they also have to convince the world that the world, that the U S dollar is still the world reserve currency. Yeah. And as soon as the markets here in the United States collapse, that's when this whole entire criminal scheme ceases to exist.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And th- and that's why it's so important to keep in, in the mind's eye, what the Eurasian leadership is looking at and their paradigm of development is very different from the one that we have been adapting to for the past four decades. Uh, because you do have serious discussions right now uh, coming on out of the Eurasian uh, partnership and a lot of their allies in Africa to bring the Belt and Road Initiative framework into the African continent, which is already happening. You know, there's something like 48 African countries that have signed on to the Belt and Road Initiative framework. So there's a big fight over the destiny of Africa. Um, But these are like electrified and high speed rail lines that are being proposed Um, As a network uniting all of Africa, um, this could be done in the next 20 years. China is willing to help in this type of financing of real development that would create real development corridors, industrial hubs, training, education, and most importantly, inspiration for young people growing up in the future world uh, that this could bring bring into, into alignment. Um, we could work with Africa, uh, with China and with African partners. We here in the West on developing these sorts of things together. There's nothing stopping us from doing that except for these political evil agendas that want us to disrupt it. And just to get a sense, this is, this is at the heart and soul for people who say the BRI, the belt, the new Silk Road, the Belt and Road initiative is a debt trap and all that crap that we're being pummeled with left and right by a lot of, a, a lot of media outlets on the left and the, and the right. Um, This is this is what they're doing already. They're building rail lines, transportation, communication hubs, everything else on a maritime as well as uh, land based uh, development corridors that are stretching from from China all the way to Europe with branches going through the Middle East um, or Southwest Asia. There's branches now that are opening up in Iran that are connecting the Iran and Iraq uh, nations for the first time by rail these are projects being built that could connect up into Syria into the ports of Latakia, into Lebanon as a part of the reconstruction and rehabilitation there that would then connect through Afghanistan, Pakistan, the Pakistan economic corridor with China um, India has a lot to gain by working with this obviously their their current government is confused in many ways but they certainly do not want to be a part of the you know NATO of the Pacific um, I think that there's a lot of there there are honest people who who would easily adapt if they were given the opportunity to do that with the Belt and road broader framework and there were not arsonists lighting fires of hostility between neighboring countries which has been the nature of the game since partition in uh, in 1947 run by the british right um this is something which we could we could all join in on and work together upon with new fu- new financial institutions that are state run banks state controlled financial institutions um, which China already is doing. They're demonstrating the effectiveness of it. We used to do it. We, if we look at our history properly, about and look at the periods where we were building things, we will find that that was the mode of of economic and financing practice that we used to abide by. We just forgot how to do it because we've been, you know, our brains have been scrubbed, our memories have been scrubbed. But that's how we built our society. So it's not like this is something outside of the Western experience. Um. So, yeah, we could totally do this again. We just have to eat some humble pie.
0: Very well said, brother. Very well said. And, and, and this is what kills me, man. It's like we have an opportunity here and we had an opportunity to build our own module of the multipolar world here in the Western Hemisphere. I mean, think of the trillions of dollars in prosperity that the United States could have been a prosperity engine of instead of a wealth extraction engine. Think of it from Canada all the way down to Argentina. We could have had the whole entire thing, our birthright to expand this amazing economic model globally. And we squandered it because we got lazy and allowed a few greedy SOBs to take control of the helm. It's terrible, man.
1: Well said, man. No, exactly. And, and you know, like the... The idea of manifest destiny has been really perverted uh, to become a a term that we associate with colonial exploitation of the poor and destroying nature. You know, Um, the reality is there was a beautiful current that embodied a a positive moral idea of manifest destiny as well. There were bad ones too. Yeah, that's true. There were there you know Teddy Roosevelt and many Andrew Jackson, the racist, genocidalist who killed thousands of Cherokee. Yeah, they believed in a bat in manifest destiny that was just there to justify, you know, their desire to turn the U.S. into uh, a British modeled empire. Um, that was bad. A lot of a lot of terrible things were done. But at the, at the other hand, there were a lot of very beautiful souls like Lincoln, like uh, William, you know, Colorado's governor, uh, William Gilpin, um Ulysses S. Grant, uh, McKinley, many others even, who all believed in a very positive view of manifest destiny that w- that was anti-imperial and was based upon uplifting people out of poverty, out of ignorance, while at the same time respecting their cultural um, uniqueness. It wasn't ba- based on homogenizing the world um, according to, you know, a-, a hegemon. It was not that. And if you look today at Russia and of China and you look at some of the people like Glazyev, um, one of the key economic architects of the Eurasian Economic Union, or you look at... Uh, China's uh philosophical approach underlying their their go west belt and road initiative it's go west I mean the whole idea is take the underdeveloped uh, desert regions the Gobi Desert the Xinjiang uh the the southwest Asia zones that are highly underdeveloped that have been abused by empires for a long time and go west and extend the real civilization the best of humanity to pull people out of poverty you know over over 900 billion people have already been lifted out of poverty by these types of big projects and so it's it's not just smother the 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 weak and the poor and the indigenous you know they're training there. if anything you've got an enrichment you have an increased literacy in tibet in xinjiang where we have more literacy it's gone up to 90% literacy in um in tibet where it, it whereas before in 1948 49 It was 30% literacy. I think it might have been less. Um, Quality of life living standards. The average life expectancy was like 38. Today, it can go on average to 69, and it's only going up. Things are trajectorily increasing, and same thing for Xinjiang. If you look at the schools, they're not smothering out indigenous cultural uh, languages in Tibet or or uh, they're not they're not doing the same thing in Xinjiang they're they're in in the Uyghur regions they're not uh they're not crushing their their cultural traditions and stories and songs they're only in, in enhancing that right. There's all been all more these things
0: there's been uh, more mosques built in right. Xinjiang over the last uh 20 years than in any other time and went from like 800 mosques to, like, 20,000 mosques or something
1: like that. It was just an insane yeah, number. there's 24,000 mosques, exactly. And, and there's, like, 138 churches in uh, in Xinjiang, too, yeah, you know? Right. People don't even know but, about but, that. Of and Bolton. people don't realize that the, that the
0: Uyghurs there, right? The, and I laugh every time I hear this Western propaganda brought to you by that idiot uh, Gans or Zans, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. But... um they the, the tell you that uh, the that the Chinese are are, are Uyghur concentration camps and the Uyghur genocide. It's a bunch of bullshit, man. I know people that live near that area. There's nothing, none of that going around. I mean, think about it. The number one singer in China right now is a Uyghur woman. Oh yeah, You yeah. Know? The the Uyghur language is written on the uh, uh, on the Chinese currency. <laughs> okay? Right, right. Uyghur kids. Have an amazing uh, pathway to get into some of the top universities that native Han Chinese. And when mm-hmm. we talk about the Chinese one belt uh, or the one child policy, that didn't apply to every Chinese person out there. It applied only to the native Hans. Uyghurs could have as many kids as they want, and 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 also the eight other or so ethnic groups out there. But yep. they want you to believe, with all that's been given to the Uyghurs, the explosion of more mosques now than ever, ever before. Uh, their life expectancy jumping from from the thirties into close to seventy years of age. All of this, and now they're they're they're, they're slaughtering them in concentration. Get the hell out of here, man! It's the most stupidest thing. But Westerners believe this crap.
1: Well, and the, and the ones who are like the 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 um the Uyghur representatives, role models that are being held up or and being brought in to testify at these different. And they're all
0: ETLM shootoffs. ETLM is a terrorist group that's funded by the CIA, created by the CIA. And recently, as no longer part of the U.S.'s terror watch list, they've been taken off.
1: Yeah, and and that's, for those who don't know, that's the East Turkestan uh, Liberation uh, Movement okay. yeah. to uh, to basically liberate Xinjiang, call it East Turkestan, and, uh, and and it's a separatist organization, which, like you said, yeah, it's been fighting a lot of these these radicalized uh, jihadists, and they are jihadists, they were radicalized by a certain Salafist branch of Islam that was fueled and funded for a very long time since the 90s in uh, China. Um, by by Saudi Arabia and other assets that were utilized by Zbigniew Brzezinski when he used the Islamic card to to undermine the Soviet Union in Afghanistan, and China has been dealing with this for a long time. There's been hundreds of recorded terrorist incidents uh, since the 1990s until 2014, 15 uh, that involved a lot of attacks. Mostly of the most of the victims over 300 <laughs> terrorist
0: attacks. 300, yeah,
1: 300, and and most of the victims. Are uh, are Muslims in yeah. living in Xinjiang? Are the, yeah. the majority the, the leading um, imam in, this, China. This is I in I Xinjiang? and why the
0: whole narrative of the, of the Islamic terror group like ISIS, USIS yeah. Al-Kaboom, Al Qaeda, Al nursa Al Kaboom, Al Shwarma, Al you know <laughs> Al Chicken Tikka Masala, whatever you want to call it. Right? These supposedly these anti-Western Islamic fundamentalist groups—they hate the West. They hate America. They hate America for their freedoms. Yeah. But 99.9999999% of their victims are all Muslims. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, look no, at the ETLM. Do... We hate the Chinese. So what do you do? You slaughter your own people. I mean, what the hell? Yeah. And, you know, but that that gives them a lot in common with uh, the Western Dick Cheneyites out there who, in order to get, you know, retaliation for the evil things that the uh, that that these groups have done to uh, pour us here in the West on 9-11... Um, involves also killing a lot of Muslims too, you know? So we've we've killed millions and millions and millions of innocent innocent people, mostly Muslim, in Libya and Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan over the course of 20 years, if not more. And, um, you know, here we have China, who's never bombed anybody. They did, they've not, in far, as far as I could tell, I can't find a single scenario in history of China doing an inside job to their own country to justify a foreign invasion the way the West has done and I'm not just bringing up 9-11 here. There's a lot of other case studies that are going, highly go, provable.
0: Going, oh, Jesus Christ. Go, let's go back to the the the, Span- the Spanish-American War. William M- McKinley's Navy. We bombed the USS Maine, sinking it to the bottom of Havana Harbor in Cuba so we can go to war with Spain.
1: It doesn't stop. Yeah, and that was that was actually Teddy Roosevelt, his undersecretary of the Navy, who went renegade uh, yeah. during that time. And yeah, that's a whole story, too. Um, McKinley had his own deep state uh, to deal with. Um, and that's why they eliminated him when they couldn't uh get him under their control cuz he was the last Lincoln Republican president right. um and Teddy Roosevelt was sort of the you know this anglophile uh pro confederacy stooge who was absolutely racist a lover of devout eugenics who who sponsored the 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 greatest expansion of eugenics laws um starting with Indiana in 191907 um and he's also a big conservationist he's the guy who put the biggest wave of conservation parks on the west coast of the United States, specifically. Well, you know the real reason why they did that. You talked to certain mm-hmm. guys on, on the on,
0: on the internet. It's because to protect the Sasquatch populations. Yes, <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely. Yeah, those those are those are the the future transhumanists that we're we're preparing to bring. We're going to turn to
0: Sasquatch, Matt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they will be the the ultimate <laughs> overseers of the future. <laughs>
0: yes, <laughs> I love it.
1: We're just Unreal. protecting them. Maybe they're the ones behind it all. Maybe they're the ones orchestrating everything because they I think just so. want to be left alone. I, I
0: think it's a it's a conspiracy between the Sasquatch and the Alien Greys. There's a connection there.
1: Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's asking about uh, China and Russia a hundred years from now. Where do I see China
0: and Russia? Go ahead. You go. You go first, Maddie.
1: Well, I mean, China and Russia themselves. Are, it's difficult to talk about 100 years from now you know um but based on the type of trajectory um, that they're moving into and what type of laws there are in harmony with i mean we could just see already the seeds being planted for such um transformative projects like their their co-co- their co commitment to uh to develop a space based economy in a very serious way you know like the the west's international space station is going to be defunct very soon. We will not have any space station. Um, China already was kicked off of Western space cooperation back in 2011. So they went they went solo, and they're now building their own... They've already built their own space station, and it's going to have multiple phases, and they've got a signed commitment with Russia to co-create several moon bases. Or, well, one starting with, but there's, there's discussion now to, to multiply this um there's programs for lunar mining especially helium three that the leaders of the the chinese space program have all been very vocal about that the far side of the moon is replete with um helium three which because of the earth's magnetic field there is not any helium three really on the earth but the moon has no magnetic field so this is constantly being produced inside of the sun it's an isotope of helium Um, It's very valuable because it's the most efficient fuel for um, fusion reactions. China and Russia are moving ahead with completely creative outside the box pathways to fusion development. I think we could expect to see that uh, happening much sooner than people realize. I mean, we've been told it's always 30 or 40 years away because Uh, it's like three or
0: four years away at this point, man.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And there's now uh, I think China and Russia together. I've seen a lot of evidence that they're embracing um the non-standard model um theories of um the atomic the geometry in- inside of an atom that one has to really understand if you're going to be able to bring out the resonances bring out the potential of the atom that is not just smashing them together in atom smashers or heating it up alone in tokamaks that you can do that for experimental reasons but you're not going to be there's not a lot of evidence that the france tokamak you know the eter is going to give you commercially available. Uh, fusion anytime in the coming century. It's just a waste of money to absorb uh, energy and money of the international scientific community into a boondoggle. Um, China and Russia, however, are doing very, very interesting outside-the-box work, so I think that they're going to get fusion faster than we realize. They got space as a driver, um, and I think the idea of terraforming uh, deserts on the Earth, which China is doing with its move south, water, north, um, project you know they're, they're moving there where there's a lot of water over availability in the south causing floods they're moving uh a big chunk of that north where they're, they're, there's a lot of drought and through the Gobi desert where by 2050 they plan to have the phase three built already phase one and phase two are already built um this type of desert greening, terraforming will give us so much knowledge about the the laws of the biosphere and and how to change the biosphere in harmony with with nature's laws right because the biosphere is already changing um you know the, the the sahara desert a few thousand years ago was a green lush zone and we don't know what geo geophysically caused that water the fresh water to go underground but it did um so that people who are trying to take computer model ecosystem snapshots of of today's nature and say that that's the what we have today is the the immutable only way it can be they are anti-scientific they're not looking at how does nature try to um increase and replenish itself and have creative evolution they don't believe in those things so china does and i think those lessons will be something that will find value when we go and look at building more durable sustainable human habitation on let's say for example mars with with its patchy magnetic field it it probably once had more abundant life and for whatever reason astro astroclimatologically speaking that life has become probably only bacterial in nature we got to figure out how do you create um, the conditions in which such a an area over the course of many many decades could begin to harbor um, a fruitful expression of life um same thing for the the moons of Jupiter, right? There's 64 moons of Jupiter. Some of them have a lot of water, and we don't know very much about them. So uh, Saturn has something like 37 moons. Why? Why doesn't? What about the moons of Neptune? What about the moons of Uranus? You know, uh, uh, there's so many things we don't know. Um, but yeah. the only thing that we do know is that uh, other species that you know 99.9 percent of species that have ever been have gone extinct, and not a single one of them ever exuded the capacity as far as we can tell, um, to, to, to organize an understanding of causality and then willfully change in accordance with discoveries to overcome, um, natural cycles of population control and population destruction, which famines, you know, climate induced, solar induced famines and other things will create. We can uniquely as a species, um, overcome those those threats by you know on a simple level preserving even in the bible you know you got the story of of the preservation of like one seventh of the of the corn uh and wheat production in Egypt uh over the course of uh, every year such that when a big drought does hit you will be ready and nobody dies so we can forecast the future and prepare our actions today according to future disasters that's a small one but you get you can the more you understand the deeper your mind can penetrate into the past and into the future and and modulate harmonize your decisions and your policies today in accordance with broader realities what about an ice age you know that's going to destroy a lot of crops which were on the verge of an ice age as we discussed last week so i think we we have to be in in a state where we're constantly expanding our 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 species Our ability to to be an immortal, as immortal of a species as we can be, because every other species is relatively finite. You know, they come, they go. We're all individually definitely finite. We come, we go. But the human beings have this variability quality on the. As long as we are moral enough to both make discoveries, but then moral enough also to share the discoveries mm-hmm. with others and translate them into creatively new new inventions and technologies yep. um, that allows the mastery of the mind over nature, ma- mind over matter, right? The ratio of mind has to always increase at a faster rate than the, the laws of nature. And if we're ignorant to the laws of nature, the laws of nature become our master, that's why we're afraid before we discovered the nature of electricity, right? Before Correct. Ben Franklin discovered electricity, electricity was sort of a scary thing from the gods causing forest fires and, and houses, barns to, to catch fire and people to die. It was a scary thing. But with the Ben Franklin's insights and his sharing of those insights by creating crucial experiments, we were able to then harness, we could create lightning rods. We could utilize the power of electricity in ways that allowed us to you know keep light going in the house uh, using bulbs, you know, and, and to communicate, uh, information over long, long distances. Um, uh, communication wise, you know, the telegraph and then later on the telephone and other things came out of that. So again, it's this question of knowledge, mind, the power of mind and the, and the laws of matter and how you always have to increase the ratio, but there will never be an end point where we become like, you know, now we're done. Okay. We've, we've, we've achieved our, 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 stasis now are, are we've know we know everything there's nothing else to do and we could all just go on to a permanent you know uh buffet and vacation and just like let the machines do, do the workforce that we'll never get to that point that's a chimera so that's what i would, I would just throw out there a yeah, very interesting point i love the fact that you said that
0: if we are moral enough to make discoveries and moral enough to share discoveries and i like to add to that that if we are moral enough to make discoveries and share discoveries then god and the universe himself reciprocate and shift where we make more discoveries further down. It's a spiritual thing, man. I really believe that there's a there is a something beyond space and time that is be uh, that is, you know, really at this point beyond our beyond our comprehension. And um there's a causality to all of this. None of this is just r- random
1: accidents, man, you know? Well said, man. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I do think that there is like this evidence of a dialectic that the yeah. universe as a whole God's creation is responsive to us obeying God's will. You know, like no. people think, oh, if you obey something, it means you lose your freedom. No. O- obedience is, you know, like that means that you're the slave of something that you're obedient to. And it's like, well, there are certain types of obedience which actually increase, ironically, your freedom. Um, if you consider that your freedom is not your freedom just to do whatever you want. If, if you define your freedom in that limited asshole like way of just I want to be free to like do whatever I want. That that's my freedom, and I'm sorry. Yeah, then you will feel maybe constrained by the fact that we live in a universe of of law. Yeah, you that might fe- that might feel like a bit of a suffocating thing for you. Um, but if you think of your freedom as like a freedom to express your innate potential for uh true happiness, contributing, uh, being creative, sharing, you know, like enjoying the love of you know your kids getting better, your friends getting better, your loved ones con- leaving something. A uh, durable behind, big or small, you know that's going to resonate after you die. That is, you know, also uh, in honor of people who have sacrificed before you and have left this material world. If you think of your freedom in that type of way, then you're thinking like Ben Franklin. You're thinking like the founding fathers of the United States, who were able to put these electric words onto onto parchment and and risk dying you know for these ideals of a world where there are inalienable rights that government is a, a nation for by and of the people um that you know that that hereditary orders are not a justifiable way of organizing uh the authority of law um you that's it's only by getting into that that moral intellectual modality that you can actually understand what governed these great uh bursts of emancipation um for the Because they were thinking about the future. They were thinking about what they leaving behind for for all of humanity. It was not just for their 13 colonies. That's why they called it the Continental Congress. It wasn't the Congress of the 13 colonies. The idea was always to expand this not only across the United States, but also for humanity as a whole, which is why, you know, the uh, Haider Ali, the Muslim uh, revolutionary who fought the British Empire in the uh, 1780s, was writing letters to the Continental Congress saying, our fight is your fight. Your fight is our fight together as we create a new world together. Yep. Miser Um, rebellion is the other one. That was the Miser. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and he, that Hyder Ali and Tipu Sultan's fight during that time throughout the, the 1780s and nineties literally saved the United States. That was why the British were not able to, put down the US rebellion because a yeah. big chunk of their naval fleet was absorbed into trying to fight the Mysore rebellion, uh, the Muslim Indians. So you know, like you've got you've got something the first with, use of missiles, by the way. The first use of missiles, yeah, they totally yeah. annihilated the uh the British who just didn't understand what guerrilla warfare was they didn't know what, what it meant to fight for uh something you love, right? The yeah. British didn't know that they just knew how to obey rules formally, which is why the Americans were able to kick their ass. Cause they were fighting for something though. They were a much weaker force and the same thing for the, uh, the Indians as well Um, there in the, in that period and, and everywhere. So, you know, we, we have this, this quality of the universe, dialectically responsive. When we act in accordance with its laws, it responds by allowing us to, to sustain more people at a higher quality of life. We can, we're liberated from having to be, you know, like what 400 years ago, the chances that you or I or CJ or anybody listening would have literacy was very slim. We were most likely going to be illiterate serfs um, somewhere before the nation state system, right? If we were born into like 15. 15- yeah, 20- I, I, would, I would have been a serf working in a rice paddy.
0: CJ would probably be, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, CJ, you probably wind up being sacrificed at an Az- Aztec. <laughs> 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 CJ, are you there? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking I could be saved by uh, redefining myself as a non-binary something. Oh yes, you tell the Aztec, uh, you know, high priest that you're not, you're not, uh, you're not what you say you are. You're a different gender. They might let you go.
1: I, I identify with the jaguar. This is not gonna, <laughs> your Guides. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you know, that's that's just generally it. I think that's good theology. That's good philosophy. If you, if you work at that and, and it just hearing us talk is not enough. Like, I mean, it helps to go and read the writings of Plato, like read the writings and and get infused with how, cause you don't want to just believe something and not have it on firm foundation of something that you've thought through worked through, made your own proven through your own powers of God given reason that it's true. Then that's, that's going to be flaky. You're not going to be very reliable or, and you won't be able to use those ideas in a way that is your own. You, you will, you will be, if anything, maybe. Uh, you'll be somebody with some good opinions, but you won't really have a power of transforming anything or teaching anything or doing much that's useful other than maybe just having good, well-behaved opinions. That's not good. You got to go further and, and you know, take some time and read Plato's Gorgias dialogue. Read, um, you know, the last days of Socrates. Uh, read some Cicero cicero's uh, the laws his his uh he wrote in in platonic dialogue format and it's very much the spirit of plato in when you read cicero his commonwealth is another one read saint augustine like take some time read confessions by saint augustine the full unredacted 13 books not the one because the ones we always get um almost everywhere are redacted the last three books of saint augustine's confessions are almost always cut out because well gotta read it and you'll see why. Um, it's very empowering and it gives you a nature, uh, a sense into the real nature of good and evil. Um, and read Ben Franklin, you know, you can read his autobiography. It's a small read, but it's really valuable to let a little bit of the, the spark, the soul of these guys uh, into your own world. Read Helen Keller, you know, yep. uh, this this amazing girl born deaf and blind um, who was able to become a Renaissance genius who loved Leibniz, read Leibniz, you know, but just read these things. And th- and that's why we have on the, uh, the Rise and Tide Foundation site, we do our classes, as you pointed out at the beginning, um, and in fact, this uh, this coming Sunday um, at two p.m. for those who would like to participate live, uh, Dr. Michael Claridge, who is the lead scientist at the uh, Sapphire Project, um, it's it's a series of of incredible electrical engineers and plasma physicists who are working on a non-standard theory model of cosmology, but they're doing it and applying it in real laboratory work where they are they are creating demonstrably of transmutations of elements that our current, uh, standard model science says is impossible, but they are actually doing it because they're utilizing a theory, a concept that's been around for a long time of, um, a plasma, a plasma universe, an electric model of the solar system of the atom, um, of certain harmonics. And so he's going to go through a presentation, ironically, a little bit more theological and in in grounding on this. this? That's going to be this Sunday at 2 PM. PM. Uh, that we're hosting
0: if, so if you could anybody, send us the link for that I'll, I'll post it onto this interview and i'll put it in the yeah, description yeah. just to put it into our uh, telegram chat and great. i'll have it posted on the on the description box so people could tune in for that
1: yeah great and, and just send me um okay yeah if we could maybe stream it that would be great um i don't, I don't know if i can do that I, I just use zoom usually whenever somebody wants to get involved or listen live i just say send me an email by info at rising tide foundation.net yeah. see yeah, I able figure to how to stream somebody? it live uh-huh.
0: Prestige, are we able to stream something like that?
1: Yeah, we could easily grab it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we might be All able right, to let's,
0: let's stream, stream it through Rogue as well.
1: Yeah, we can uh, interesting. chat on the Telegram and see how we can coordinate that. That sounds good.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting
1: experiment. Okay. Yeah, let's Absolutely. try to do that.
0: All right. Yeah, definitely. Matt, thank you, man, for being on. And, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the future is, is not 100% certain. But I, I like to make my own prediction real quick. Last mm-hmm. few seconds we have left before we sign off. I believe the multipolar world will evolve, go forward. They will colonize space, the moon, the stars, you name it. It's going to be wonderful. I think uh, the rest of us in the West we will probably turn into a casino gulong with brothels, and we will perfect pizza delivery. We will be able to deliver pizza at a faster rate than any other generation before us. So right there. <laughs> if you don't believe me, read the books. No crash. Velas has yeah. recommended that to me. It's ruined me for life. The, uh, read it. Snow Crash.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Okay. All right. I actually have to do that. Yeah. Velas did uh, did promote that. It, there's just there's so many cynical dystopic uh, predictive programming out there. I'm I'm reticent to to get more of that into me. But no, if no, if there's insights, it, it, I'll, I'll play with it. If you
0: if you read it from our vantage point, like you and I have the same yeah. worldview in terms of the multiple of the world and what yeah. real humanity and and and, and civilization is all about if you read it from with with, with those blinders on, it becomes a wonderful, (laughs) wonderful joke. And we're like, well, I can really see the country devolving into this.
1: (laughs) All right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And that's like great satire does that, right? Like we were talking last week. That's what Jonathan Swift did about, you know, his praise of a world of people who have like made a habit of eating babies and, you know, like different recipes for baby cooking and what, what type of clothing you could wear with baby skin. I mean, yeah, he's like taking the ex- the logical extreme conclusion and just like putting it in your face because you weren't aware that that was the actual effect of what your life was was based on today. It was too hard to see until it was just like amplified and uh, and made you sick. And it's funny too. Yeah. So yeah, in that sense, what you're saying, I'll 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 buy it and I'll read it.
0: Very well said. Folks, again, you can find Matthew over at CanadianPatriot.org and Rising foundation.net And make sure you go and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to Substack, MatthewAra.Substack.com. Links are all in the description box. And the upcoming broadcast on Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern, will be in the link as well, so stay tuned for that. And make sure all of you subscribe. If you haven't done so already, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to Rogue News right here on YouTube. Hit us with a thumbs up. It helps us fight against the algos that has obliterated 7,800 subscribers and is keeping us firmly under 100,000 subs and shadow banning the crap out of us. So every little bit helps. And With that mm-hmm. being said, CJ, take it away.